Frank. Merry Christmas. That's right. I, I forgot. I didn't get you anything yet. That's okay. Can I have that back? Station 11? Sure. Just keep reading it. Should be doing my work. That's good, though. Make them a light. To which character? Welcome to Station Eleven, the podcast, a show that dives deep into the HBO Max limited series Station Eleven. Every episode will be joined by a member of the cast or crew of the show and find out not only their approach to the characters and stories, but we'll also reveal special behind-the-scenes insights into production and the process. I'm Patrick Somerville, creator, showrunner, and executive producer of Station Eleven. And I'm Angelica J. Bastian. I'm a writer and pop culture critic for New York magazine site Vulture. Each week, Patrick and I will sit down with one of the many talented collaborators and artists from the TV series and talk about storylines, themes, and characters. We're also going to talk about what it's like to tell a story about a pandemic while living in an actual pandemic. Today, we're going back in time with our characters and finally finding out what the hell happened to Frank. That's right, we're talking about Episode 7, Goodbye, My Damaged Home. And to help us make sense of it all, we'll be joined by Matilda Lawler, the incredible actor who plays Kirsten Raymond, and our gifted director for both episodes 105 and 107, Lucy Cherniak. In every scene almost, one of them took on a different sort of role within the family. And so one of my favorite scenes, in fact, where Kirsten sings for the guys. And she's doing that. Well, maybe you can tell me, Matilda, why you think she's doing that. It's like... When you're in a moment of serious pain, it's kind of what people do is, like, try to make it better. So I think she was trying to bring a little joy. Okay, Patrick, let's get into this poison-induced episode, which has me pretty pissed off because... Man, Frank is fucking dead, but I, I mean, isn't Didn't you know? Didn't yeah, you know? Yeah, I mean, I knew. I think. You felt it. Tell me why you're so mad about Frank being gone. <sighs> Something about the Frank character really struck a chord with me as someone who deals with depression and doubts around their own life and place in the world. I can't even imagine dealing with depression and like. that sort of heaviness while you're facing down what is basically the end of the world as you've understood it. Yes, you can. Isn't that what we've been doing? Oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, shit, son, you're right. (laughs) And somehow I'm still here. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, what a fascinating episode. I'm really excited to kind of ask you a few questions and get into the shape of this because it's playing around with time in a really fascinating way and also the whole conceit of getting older Kirsten and younger Kirsten playing off one another. There's many formal things that we'll get to, I think, in the episode that I'm excited to talk about and Lucy and Matilda can help. But let me just go back to what you said about depression because 
I think this is a fascinating subject. As a storyteller, it's very, very hard, I've always found, to tell stories about depression. But I think with Frank and mental health, this is a special story sort of about depression because it's, to me, it's about heroism in depression. Or another way to say it would be the heroism that is surviving depression. Mm. The courage that it takes, the imagination and like the strength. And, and I think in this episode too, we, we had this trouble communicating it, I would say. We were all sort of trying to tell the story of a hero who is depressed, who does a heroic thing that's a lot more nuanced, I think, and creative. And he's far more emotionally attuned, Frank is, to everyone than it seems at first. I think he has sort of the highest EQ of anyone trapped in there. And that includes ghost Kirsten, I, I, future Kirsten. Too. <laughs> I think Frank of day 79 is still teaching Kirsten of year 20 lessons about how to be okay, how to get through trauma. Um, he's disabled now too after the explosion and he's had to change his understanding of who he is in the world. I think professionally shit's not working out right, but props to Naban Rizwan in this episode. Great performance. Yeah, there's a lot of props to go around, but it's stunning what he did in this episode. The arc of Frank, given the amount of time he had on screen. I don't know. I love him too. Do you also love him? Is that why you're mad he's gone? Yeah, just because, you know, you often watch things and you're like, well, who would I like to be and who would I actually be <laughs> if any of this was happening? <laughs> who I'd like to be? Of course, badass, dynamic, complicated Kirsten, because I want to be throwing knives. But I really was like watching Frank and, you know, there's the moment where the intruder comes in and Jeevan knows what's about to happen. He can kind of see the calculations. You mean looking at his brother's face? Yes, that, exactly. That moment is so charged. But there's something really beautiful with how Frank approaches everything in this episode and how the episode recontextualizes things we sort of thought we knew mm -hmm. and shines a new light on them. I I was really moved by everything with his storyline and just this episode in particular. And the scene at the dinner table before the play is so critical in showing that, no, this is not a I'm worthless, go ahead, I'm busted. It's not a self-defeatist thing. He's doing a calculus about his brother. He knows his brother so well that he knows his brother will not survive alone. Yeah. This is what has to happen. I'm not dead weight, but I'm too much weight for you and her to be okay. So I'm going to stay. I want to live. He wants to live, which may seem like a paradox because of the choices he makes. But we really wanted to make it clear that the reason Frank stays isn't because he thinks he's worthless, because he has mental illness. But also, this is a change we made. Frank's in a wheelchair in the book. And I don't think Emily's intention in the novel was ever to say people with disability would not be able to survive the hardship. People with disability are better equipped to survive hardship. Frank would have been able to roll around in a wheelchair in year 20 if he got out of episode seven. And I didn't want the wheelchair to feel like the thing because we couldn't get down the stairs. We certainly didn't try to delete 
the story of disability from Frank. We just changed it to a chronic pain and hip injury with the cane to try to even get to the heart of this depression question more. You know, like, why didn't he go? He's not suicidal, right? I don't, I don't know. And then you add the layer of addiction. And I think with Frank, like, I love that he's using and then he stops before Jeevan even gets there. That felt important to kind of like scrub that, like to show he is in a certain place. But then when he gets that call, when he opens that door, I wanted him to stop using. I read his relationship to his addiction in multiple ways. Because um, I think he kind of touches on a lot of really interesting subject matter. Um, you know, especially because there was a line I wrote down when I watched it again today was, I can't ghostwrite sober. And for some reason that like really struck me because I think it very briefly does touch upon sometimes the ways artists burden themselves with these very strange ideas about how they can work. It has a lot of anxiety and weird shit wrapped up in it. Yeah, Frank just really kind of a gut punch of a character. Gut punch of an episode, really. But he matters so much. I love him because he yeah, matters I love so much to like Kirsten. This. Kirsten's yeah. life, Jeevan did a lot and Frank did a lot. They did different things. And I think our audience will see Frank's not gone from the show. Even though he's gone uh, from the earth in year zero here, we, we will see Frank's face again. But I think Arthur is this kind of uh, spiritual ghost in the background of the show who matters a lot and dies early. Frank is different to me. He's a teacher. And, and he always also represented the side of me. I bristle when people say artists don't understand the real world. This is a really, if you instantly want to pull me into a really uncomfortably aggressive <laughs> like dinner party situation. Anyway, Frank's logic-based and fact-based and truth-based, and he's a journalist. As he says, he doesn't make shit up. So that matters somehow in becoming an artist, to have that side of you that's a realist and to understand the world too. It's a balance. And I think Kirsten needed him to get to who she became. Yes, I completely agree with you on that. He's very fundamental to the Kirsten we are seeing many years down the line. And on that note, I think we should jump into our chat with Matilda and Lucy, don't you? I love these two. I'm so excited. I'm really excited to talk to them. This is going to be a good one, I think. I can't wait. Lucy Cherniak is known for her work as a director on the upcoming Angeline, The End of the Fucking World, Wanderlust, among many others. Matilda Lawler is an astonishing actor and star in the making. You may recognize her in the titular role of Flora and Ulysses and a personal favorite of mine. She's appeared in the show Evil, but she also plays young Kirsten in Station Eleven. Matilda and Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hi, guys. 
Hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you guys had seen each other? I'm always curious when we to kind of place the last moment you guys were in a room together. Can we answer in two different ways? <laughs> <laughs> it hadn't been for a while, like since we wrapped. So that would have been uh, spring sometime. Well, you wrapped before we wrapped. So I think we said goodbye right. uh, in May, early yeah. June of last year. And Matilda wrapped. You kind of wrapped and then came back for one day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it was around June also. But I... I didn't see you when you came back, did I? Yeah, you didn't you didn't see me, but I'm really glad that you like pushed for that scene to happen. Can you tell us which scene? That was the scene uh, at the top of episode two, the one with Lori Petty, the amazing Lori Petty, where um Kirsten is uh feral and she's just becoming a member of the traveling symphony, pretty much. Mm. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Whether it's routine maintenance, an emergency repair, or a dream project, Angie lets you compare quotes from multiple local pros, browse homeowner reviews, and even book a service instantly. Angie's been connecting people with skilled pros for nearly 30 years. So the next time you have a home project, bring it to Angie to get your job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. How did it feel kind of coming back for just that moment in that character's life? Um, was it easy to slip back into? How did you feel? I mean, it kind of made sense because Kirsten had been away for a while in her own world. So it was kind of like I could be away in my own world for a while, too, and and then come back and... Obviously, it took a little bit to get myself into the right mindset, but uh, yeah. This girl's pretty good at getting her into mindsets like so quickly. Like she will just be able to flip into something so quick. It's really astonishing. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, that makes me curious. Like what was your process for getting back into the right mindset and getting back into this Kirsten's mindset where she's feral and she's obviously been through a lot. I'm just really curious to hear about your process as an actor and how you get into the right headspace. Well, I reread the Station Eleven graphic novel a couple times because um, she is literally like in that world uh, while she's feral. So that really helped. And then I looked at a lot of images of like lions and cheetahs because I feel like that kind of resembles a little bit of, I don't know. What lions else? and cheetahs? Yep. Say more, please. Did you play, were you playing, <laughs> were you playing cheetah when you were coming up on her in the top of 102? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I, I guess. I see that. You were like stalking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like love hearing from actors where they kind of pull movements from and inspiration from and, you know, synthesizing it in a way to kind of provide us a window into making this person feel real. And this episode is really fun for viewers because we get to see older Kirsten played by Mackenzie Davis and obviously younger Kirsten played by you, Matilda, and seeing it's almost like you're you're seeing the arc of someone's life through a very small window. 
And I'm really curious to hear from you, Matilda, what was it like playing Kirsten in this context where you're playing off of an older version of her? And how did you approach kind of wrapping your mind around the mind-melding nature of this episode? I can't say this uh, enough. Adult Kirsten and younger Kirsten are definitely connected in certain ways. They're the same person, but they're definitely on, like, Mackenzie was actually saying this earlier today, like, a person changes so much in their lifetime, so... Kirsten as an eight, nine, ten year old is going to be so different than Kirsten as like 28. You know, our storylines are different, but then like to see them cross paths for that little time was just really nice, especially in this episode. It kind of connects um, the rest of the series. And I don't know. And it's very special. And it was the first thing we shot, too, which I think has to be mentioned. Like we Matilda came back for that scene in 102, but we were all coming back. And in some cases, like with me and Lucy meeting after a year of being down. Yeah. There are so many questions I want to ask you guys. <laughs> Try to decide where to start. But I think one thing to kind of back us up a little bit, taking a broader view is what drew you to station 11 and maybe how your relationship to this material has changed throughout the course of the pandemic and now that the show is out there in the world? What attracted me to the project was, well, first of all, I've said this so many times, but in my age group, I get a lot of the same kinds of auditions and they're not always as like deep or just fun to explore in. Uh, but Kirsten was so different I felt like I could relate to her in a lot of aspects, but it also felt like I could really explore with her. And then the script was just, it felt, even though at the time it didn't apply to the world, it felt like it did to me. For some reason, it made me feel so connected and understood. And then when COVID hit, it made me feel even more understood, and I'm sure a lot of other people feel that way too. And I don't know. I I think that it really helped me relate my experiences that I could actually experience from COVID to the flu in Station Eleven. So that gave me more information and like depth to create my character. I'm blushing. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. I so I wasn't originally available for Station Eleven and as a, you know, wonderful silver lining of this horrible pandemic, I then was, and I was originally going to just be doing episode seven. And then you made a masterpiece. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, and, then, and then got roped into episode five very happily, um, which was great. And it would have been such a shame to just get so invested in this very strange, complex fascinating world and then leave after one episode. So I was really happy I was able to do both. But yeah, I think just sort of in terms of like what attracted it to me, I was coming at it from a place of, of just having been in lockdown for ages. And in truth, I think when I first got sent it, it was like, and then everyone goes, but it's the last thing people are expecting when they hear anything related to a show about a flu pandemic, you know. There was something genuinely very cathartic about doing this episode 
having been in a lockdown myself, even doing most of my prep very in a very meta way in lockdown, doing it remotely, like being on FaceTime with the DP going around the apartment, like us, uh, Matilda, like uh, we did like read-throughs and we did some rehearsals over Zoom and things like that. So it was all very strange to be prepping a show about a lockdown whilst in lockdown. And yeah. one of the main things I love about my job is just working with brilliant actors. And this cast is just astonishing. And it was like we had like this little family just doing this play together, which was, again, quite meta considering what happens in the episode. Um, so it was very enticing. And the, yeah, the world was so sort of rich and curious and I couldn't say no. You bring up something that I actually want to ask about um, because I, I'm just really fascinated with the relationship between directors and actors and how they communicate with one another. So I I would love to hear your own perspective on directing actors and, you know, guiding the emotional shape of an episode so everyone feels safe to do their best work and be vulnerable. I love hearing about that. So I really want to hear your perspective on that. Well, I, I first of all, just love to make everyone feel really comfortable because I think everyone, when they're at ease, hopefully that's the case, Matilda. Um, the, yes, it was. <laughs> it was the case for sure. If we all, if everyone's like feeling relaxed, I, I genuinely feel like that's when they're going to really bring it the most. I also try, I am quite a strong believer in the sort of, um, there's a wonderful tutor I saw called Judith Weston, who wrote a fantastic book for anyone out there who wants to direct, called Directing Actors, but making sure that I'm giving what we call playable directions to actors. This is very, very, very hard to do. <laughs> it is really hard. And Lucy yeah. is very, very, very good at it. That is true. That is very, 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 very true. <laughs> Thank you very, 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 very much, guys. <laughs> but but no, it is really hard. And I truly remember when I first read that book, it basically lists all these things that you can't say to actors. It called, they called it result directing. Tell us specifically. Basically, result directing is like telling the actor what you want the result to be. So like, mm, do it funnier or do it faster or do it like uh, creepier, like something like that. Um, well, why doesn't that work, Matilda? I've been given those notes before. And honestly, there's like nothing for the actor to play off of. Mm. It's like really hard to relate that to like, it just... When you're acting, you're trying to be the character and like a person doesn't just say something creepily. Like why is the person <laughs> yeah, why, exactly. is, why, why is are the they person doing it? coming off that way? Like that's so unhelpful, that's so like shallow. Surface. So you've gotta give more. So Lucy, sorry to interrupt you, but now now back to Lucy. Uh what do you do instead? So it's about trying to work as much as possible with objectives. So reminding an actor what their objective for the scene is, whether that's like for the specifically an objective in the scene, like get him to stay, get him to smile, something like that, that's playable. You know, that's how humans work. We all work by like wanting to do things, wanting to get things. We're very goal oriented people. I think other things I try are play things like an as if, something that was really wonderful about this episode. And I think we did this a few times. Oh, it's because they are all adopting roles, different relationships, like 
as if they're a family. Obviously, they are two brothers in this episode and then Kirsten, this adopted younger sister, daughter. But in every scene almost, one of them took on a different sort of role within the family. And so one of my favorite scenes, in fact, where Kirsten sings for the guys. We were not ready for a one in 1,000 survival rate. Chicago's not Chicago anymore. It's just 2.5 million bodies and... The first Noel The angels did say Was to certain poor shepherds In fields as they lay In fields where they Lay keeping their sheep On a cold winter's night that was so deep. Noel, 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 Noel. Born is the king of Israel. And she's doing that. Well, maybe you can tell me, Matilda, why you think she's doing that. It's like when you're in a moment of serious, like, uh, sadness or just pain. Like, some, it's kind of what people do is, like, try to make it better. So I think she was trying to bring a little joy in the situation and and sing that. And then Mackenzie, she, she said that as an adult looking back on her younger self, that it was more like, oh my gosh, I'm seeing myself. And I'm seeing that when I was younger, I would always try to take care of other people. So I don't know. It's just interesting to hear like the different perspectives as younger and older. Yeah. I kind of think it's both those things though, you know, like you're finding joy is a way of protecting and caring for these other people. And in that moment, you were kind of being the mum you know, in your yeah. own way. They so, needed it. Yeah. Yeah. We sometimes kind of switched around with things like that. You know, I might say, I'm try- I honestly can't remember if I ever did this. So Himesh might hear this and say, well, she's telling bullshit now. But, um, <laughs> but um, you know, something like Himesh, you're the mum now or something like that, you know? Um, so playing as if you are a, someone's mother, you are someone's younger sibling, you know? So those sorts of things work. Yeah, it was definitely in the air, Lucy, for example, in the scene uh, when they're fighting about uh, what Jeevan just found in the drawer. There definitely is a dad-mom fight mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. on in that scene that is it was sort of semi-baked and we had talked about it beforehand, but then it really came alive on the day. And you really, I remember you really leaning into it. So there was a lot of that sort of stuff to play on in this episode. And then aside from that, I think it's kind of often about uh, images, like that's such a visceral thing and memories. Like when Himesh is with Naban and Naban is like bleeding out, dying on the floor. I I think I might have said to him at some point, like, have you seen a dead body before? Mm. You know, like to just kind of get these images. And the, uh, the other image I gave the intruder, we really didn't want this intruder to just be like this comic book villain. 
he was doing this out of pure desperation and he didn't want to be doing it essentially like he was doing because he had to so the note I gave to him and I think this is the one that's in there was someone was holding a gun to the back of your head as you do this Whoa. and it really changed how wow he did it. <laughs> Lucy um, see that is just an example of how good you are at giving notes thank you <laughs> that's, that's, I didn't know that Lucy that's and I he that is exactly what he's playing yeah please leave I live here now okay it's okay you can have the place we're all packed. We were just sleeping. Right, Frank? Come on, Frank. Let's go. We're all packed up. We were just leaving. It's fine. I want to steer us into talking about the moment of magic. Obviously, this episode, it's very much the play that Kirsten encourages them to put on and the violence that comes after it. And one thing that I really was curious to talk to you about, Lucy, as a director, is to just kind of get into what it's like to shoot violence and make sure it hits viscerally, but also not veer into being so gratuitous that it like throws the tone of the show off course uh there's some very interesting visual choices you make as a director um with what we're shown and what we just hear and i was wondering if you could unpack that a little bit for us yeah i mean there's a very specific language in this show when it comes to violence and that was something that you know, Hero and Patrick had established even before I came on. This is one of the most violent moments in the entire series. And so how we dealt with it was there were many, many conversations. <laughs> but the main thing was that Station Eleven didn't want to be gratuitous. We were way more interested in like the effect of the aftermath of the violence and these people and the emotions that surrounded it over the violence itself. And so I was very keen to shoot it in wides or even like I think maybe the moment you're referring to is when Jeevan finishes the guy off. Mm-hmm. Um, Oof. The camera chooses to skirt past him and go find the guy who who's already bleeding out on the floor post-violence, you know. So, yeah. But then, but uh, uh, there's a very other fascinating thing going on that I would love to hear from Matilda about mm. regarding Angelica's violence question. There's another act of violence that happens in this sequence. Uh, you slit someone's throat earlier in the play, but that's the play, and you're pretending. I'm bringing it up because I feel so much at that moment during the play right. before we even have an invader. I would love to hear Matilda talk about it. Yeah, I I feel the same way. I feel like that whole Kirsten really pushed to do the play. It's kind of a goodbye. They all can sense it. They all can feel it. And so I don't really understand it either, to be honest. But I love it, too. And I don't know. It just 
You can feel that it means something. Yeah, you've said, you know, we're going tomorrow, please come. He has flatly refused. So so I think you know it is a goodbye. You know that you're going after this play. You know that he's a pretty determined guy and he's he's going to stay. So I think it is that. And then I think on this whole other layer that Kirsten doesn't actually even realize at this moment, but obviously adult Kirsten does, is that because Kirsten insisted on doing the play and putting him in that role... That's the reason he died. She killed him. Angelica and I discussed depression at the top of this episode. And when I see you up there, Matilda, with the knife saying, turn the engines back on. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've had that conversation with people in my life who I love who are depressed. Right. And like, you don't know what to do or how to help. uh, But Mm -hmm. you end up with a knife at their throat being like, come on. But it doesn't help, kind of. But it's so frustrating, I think, to be both Frank or Kirsten in that moment. It's so frustrating for both people because they love each other. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, really, the graphic novel in that specific um, play really oddly represents their situation in, like, such a strange way. One of my favorite moments, actually, is... um the conversation that you have with Jeevan just before you leave when he's like putting your backpack on and it's this cute little intimate family moment and you kind of confess to him that you almost made him Lonergan as if that might have meant that he was the one that was staying here in this apartment and Frank would go with you you know like I almost killed you is what that was and Himesh's reaction to that is just like <laughs> it's so perfectly pitched I because know, it's right? like darkly comic, but he's also, <laughs> no. you know, he's like freaked out a little by that, but also knows it's ridiculous. But again, when you're like in this situation, you can draw your own signs and conclusions, you know, so it's like it weirdly makes sense, even though it doesn't. You were really good. It's Dr. Eleven. I almost made you on again. So, what happens next? In your book. It's the two of them. Dr. Eleven and the rebel undersea leader. For a while. One thing I would be curious to hear from you, Matilda, is, you know, this episode represents for Kirsten a huge rupture in her life and, you know, really changes the course of who she is and how she looks at the world. But within that context, what draws Kirsten so much to the graphic novel as like almost like her own North Star in a way? And I'm curious about just that relationship between her and this work of art and how you kind of thought through her own beliefs on that as an actor when you're playing this role? I mean, I think that the story is Kirsten is always finding a new family. Just like the graphic novel, Dr. Eleven loses his home and then finds it again and again and again. And so she really clings on to that story because it represents her 
And I don't know if you've ever felt so deeply connected to something, but she feels so connected to it. And it's kind of like a religion to her because it's what's always been there for her since the beginning of, like, losing everything. It's the last thing Arthur gave her. It's what she's clung on to since she lost everything. I should mention, too, uh, quickly for our listeners, I'm not sure people know this, but when Matilda says she was reading the graphic novel, we wrote the entire graphic novel for the show. Mm -hmm. It started as a prop need, but as people who've come with us this far have seen, like, it's a lot more than a prop. Uh, It's a deep spiritual text, I guess, binding a lot of the episodes together. But we had to write it, we realized. And Emily St. John Mandel sketched something in the novel, but there was no graphic novel. So we in the writer's room, uh, and then as we went, we, we made the whole thing. It's 83 pages. And... You've heard most of it already. It's the voiceover of episode three. You know, this show really delves into ideas about collaboration and community, especially through Kirsten's journey with the Traveling Symphony. But it's true even in this episode, as you can see, with Kirsten wanting to make something beautiful out in the world because of something she read. Um I'm curious, you know, you guys have touched on this to various degrees, specifically with the actor-director relationship. But I I always like to hear this from people. What do you think, uh, Matilda and Lucy, makes for a good collaborator? I think someone that's open and willing to hear other people's opinions and someone that has their own vision but is willing to, like, change that for the better yeah what do you think Lucy I think that's really well put I was yeah I was gonna say someone who really listens I think it's the same as what makes a good actor as well like if an actor's truly listening then they're able to be spontaneous if they're not listening then they're not reacting to the other character and therefore they're not being authentic because they're just delivering lines that they learned in a way that they've imagined delivering those lines if they're truly listening then they're, they're reacting to every nuance of the other person's delivery. Well, I can't help but think of the scene in 102 when when Kirsten mm-hmm. gives yeah. acting advice to Dan. That's it. And guess what? I wrote something different and Mackenzie called me and said, it should be this. Oh, good. Really? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes, Mackenzie. <laughs> I was like, this is such good acting advice. I changed it to exactly her pitch about yeah. listen. There I'm is, putting your attention on the other person. That's yes. it. Yeah. And that was so Kirsten, too. Like, And think about 107. All your attention is on the other person. You know, but I think that's the trauma in there a bit for Kirsten as a child, too. Like, who was taking care of her? And I think that's what's kind of special about this one. Mackenzie, Kirsten, Mark II, uh, gets to come back and give a little bit of love to herself and say, I see you. You know, like she couldn't change it, but like she could go back and say, I see what happened. And I didn't before. That matters when you're healing, I think. Yeah. But I think, you know, even just aside from actors, I think, everyone who's involved in the craft, writers, directors, production design, if everyone's just listening to each other and then like doing it, oh my God, I am sounding like such a, 
I was going to say like doing a yes and, like it was just an impromptu. Yes and is profound. Yes <laughs> and is, is totally true, profound. Right? Like listen, hear it. And then if you really hear it, then you can add something onto it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really beautifully put, y'all. I am so happy I got to speak with the both of you. This has been such a fascinating and rich conversation. And I'm a huge fan of both of y'all's work, both on the show and outside of it. So I just want to say thank you. Like for real, this was a really regenerative conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm a big fan of both of you guys too. I hope I've expressed that many thousands of times, but I can't say it enough. You're both incredible. And to start out part two of our production with the two of you in that little room in Nabon and Humesh and Mackenzie, it was sort of like the regenerative thing we needed at the top to go do it 109 more days. Oh, <laughs> mm. so very near and dear to my heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you again to Lucy Cherniak and Matilda Lawler. That was a really amazing conversation. I was really struck by the way they describe collaboration and the dynamic between an actor and a director and the need to kind of create a safe space in order to do your best work as artist. Yeah, Helen Shaver brought that same idea up, and I think it's just true. We got into some really great nitty-gritty stuff there about the challenges of communication on the day, because the stakes are really high. That's the other thing. Time costs so much money. There's so many producers around being like, are we done yet? And like, uh, you have to like make a bubble beyond that bubble to be like, back up. We need the time. Be quiet. Let them do their job. So the stakes feel really, really high. And it's so delicate at the same time. Definitely. I think this will be a really intriguing window into one of the strongest episodes of the show. This one is definitely a gut punch for me, and I think it will be for others as well. That's all for this episode. Thanks, as always, to everyone who's listening. Don't forget to tune in next week when we discuss episode eight, Who's There? with actors Mackenzie Davis, our adult Kirsten, and Daniel Zavato, our Tyler, a.k.a. David, a.k.a. The Prophet. You don't want to miss this conversation. You know how much I love to talk about craft with our actors. Station Eleven, the podcast, is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio and hosted by me, Patrick Somerville, and Angelica Jade Bastian. Our executive producer is Molly Sosha, with special thanks to Ethan Fixell. Our engineer extraordinaire is James Foster, who likes camping. This episode was written and researched by Kate Voss. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to rate and review Station Eleven, the podcast, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast for free so you don't miss an episode. You can catch up on the latest episodes of Station Eleven on HBO Max.